It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you're with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstock 95.3, Michiana's news channel, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. In the studio with me is Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn, my fellow financial advisors and friends most days at Corhorn Financial Group. Yes. What about today? Nope. Nope. Not no. going to happen. It's going to be an interesting show. But today we are finishing the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks. We're talking about the top 12 financial choices that people make that they end up regretting for the rest of their life. And we've been talking about what those regrets are and how you recover from them if you're in a similar situation. Or best of all, how to avoid them completely. If you've got your own list of financial regrets that you're making or maybe your own list of how you disagree with us, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at wisemoneyradio.com. Of course, you can submit a question there. We want to answer your questions on an upcoming show. So check out wisemoneyradio.com, or you can give us a call, 574-222-2000. Well, as Kevin mentioned, this is the final installment of our series about the 12 biggest regrets or mistakes that people have in their financial life. And over the past couple weeks, we've tackled things like borrowing money from your 401k or drawing Social Security too early. We've hit uh, bankrolling your kids. That's a big one. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, that's right. Uh, or maybe waiting too long to save for retirement. That's actually the largest one, according to a lot of polls. Uh, last week, we also talked about avoiding the stock market in light of everything that's been going on in the markets in recent weeks. So if you have missed anything, again, just as Mike said, we want to uh, push you towards our website, Wise Money Radio, where you can listen in on those or even subscribe to our podcast series. Those episodes can be delivered to your phone every single week. And, uh, and it's magic. As always, you know, we're not talking about these regrets to make anyone feel bad or feel embarrassed. We've all made mistakes. We've all, a lot of us have made ones on this list. So we're talking about these to help you avoid them if you haven't made this decision yet or help you recover from it. All right. This one is very interesting. A lot of people have made this decision. And yes, a lot of people have come to regret it. Financial regret number nine is buying into a timeshare. If there was ever a regret that I have to be careful of projecting onto people, you know, when, when clients, this is especially early on in my career, when they would tell me they just signed up, bought a timeshare, I don't think I was good at masking my response. No poker face? No, I, I was not good at that. And it was almost like I, I needed to issue my condolences to them, like they just found out they have some awful disease or something. You know, I've got a couple people who they'll really enjoy it, and it has worked out. It's been expensive. We'll get into that in just a minute, but they but they really like it. Yeah, there are there are two sides to this issue. Of, of every regret, uh, right? But certainly this every one. regret. And, and I know people that own timeshares that don't have any regrets. And if you need an external stimulus to get you to do something... Uh, if you need some help going on vacation, a timeshare will help you go on vacation. If you say, hey, I value vacation, uh, I'm, I want to go to the same place at the same time every year, then there you go. It See, I say that is just way too theoretical because 
there's so many people out there who, yeah, maybe maybe that's one of the sales pitches is, oh, you know, you work too hard, you got to make time for yourself, get your rejuvenation going and everything. But at the end of the day, they don't use the timeshare and years start ticking by and they're spending all this money in annual fees and they're not even using it. And that is the definition of waste for people. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and when you think about the regret side, there are certainly lots of people on the regret side. I had a good friend that wrote about three paragraphs yeah sh- share this story a little bit in 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 the uh, uh, a facebook post well actually a better story than that is my wife and i were spending some time with some good friends yesterday and they were talking about their friend who had bought a timeshare in hawaii and they paid twenty thousand dollars for it i'm listening hawaii and okay. they had they bought one week every other year the the Annual maintenance fee is north of a thousand bucks, and they said, and this is something I'd never heard of, but there's a there's a housekeeping fee of about a hundred bucks a day. Wow! So when you look <laughs> at the costs, the the money that you parted with upfront, and then you have the ongoing maintenance fee, and then the other fees that are um, put in there, it can be a fairly expensive approach to having a vacation. $20,000. You've got to take a lot of vacations to spread that kind of investment out over time. Yeah, you do. And so, I, ironically, my wife and I are fresh, you know, hot off the presses. We just sat through a timeshare presentation in Gatlinburg. And it, it, I looked at it as one of the things that I'm willing to do. I'm laying down my life, sacrificing everything for you guys, the show, for our clients. Oh, so this was a real free lunch endeavor. I, yeah. <laughs> and a free lunch. Uh, actually, free breakfast and a, a pretty decent dis- discount uh, off the room. Um, so we went to there, and, and the idea is, so Joshua, you say $20,000, that seems crazy. Think how many vacations I could take for $20,000. But I, as I sat and listened uh, to this gal make her presentation, and she was great. She was trained very, very well, and I could... I could recognize this because I've studied human behavior and sales and other things. Um, she, what she got, tried to get you to is that, look, renting doesn't make any sense. So if you go and you stay in a hotel for three days and you pay X dollars, you're renting. And at the end of the three days, all you have is a receipt. You don't have anything to show for it. So you're much better off being an owner. And there are things in your in your financial life that you might make a case. Hey, I I'm further ahead owning something rather than renting it. So you say, why would I rent versus why would I own? But at the end of of the presentation that we went to, I concluded I am much 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 better off renting than I ever would be owning. Because some of the the problems in the complications with ownership that I saw. One of the things is the cost. I, I'm paying upfront. They give you a warranty deed. And it, this is what I would say. If you don't know what a warranty deed is or and, and you're, you don't know the consequences of owning property in two states when you die, mm. then just don't, don't even go there. Don't go there. Yep, rent. You're a renter. That makes you a renter, not an owner. Well, you don't control all those fees. Right, they 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 can hit you with that annual maintenance fee, and that fee can double or triple any given year. You have no control over that. I don't want to be an owner in that. Right, right. right. The deal can change after you're locked in. Yeah. Right, and and her idea was, look, you can be an owner here. 
So they were looking at the, the we, we saw the, the units that they had. So the three bedroom. And then when we came back, we looked at this and they said, hey, look, it's $80,000 to buy into this three bedroom deal. And I said, okay, so you're telling me if I spend $80,000 on a week, that that three bedroom unit right there is worth $4,160,000. Because they're selling 52 weeks. Because they're selling, for 80 yeah. Yeah, fifty-two weeks at eighty grand, and I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't think so, uh, but I'm, I'm interested. Tell me this: if I buy it today, what can I sell it for tomorrow? Amen. Here it is. And <laughs> and she looked at me like I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> hey, I've been meaning to tell you. Yeah, you got a face for radio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a mole. So I, I, I was just, I looked at that and I thought. This is the craziest thing ever. Why would I make a financial decision on the spot? And of course, you have to buy it today. You have to do it today because uh, you're, this is the, your first time ever hearing this presentation. And because of Tennessee law and, um, you know, the Hatfield and McCoy feud and, and 17 other things, we can't offer you in the second presentation what we can offer you in the first presentation. And you think, oh, and I. That's just gross. Uh, I listening to this, it's getting me all fired up. <laughs> I know. And so what they what they do, so th- this because the, the the psychology of this to me was fascinating. So what they do is they say, "Hey, uh, would you buy this thing for eighty thousand? We don't want you to give us a check for eighty thousand. We want you to pay twelve hundred bucks a month. Would you do this?" And I was kind of staying out of the conversation, just observing, and my wife was being a great participant and she said no and they <laughs> and they and she said why and my wife said well because of the cost so what did our objection to all of this just become yeah it's cost yeah so how do you overcome that objection you you say okay well if you don't like the $1200 a month unit i can show you a unit for $800 a month and then my wife said, no, I, no, I don't think so. So all they, all they do is they keep working their way down to where they th- think that that's what, you, that's what you're going to do. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that these are highly trained salespeople who know how to overcome objections. So your best bet, if, you don't, if you're not in the market for uh, a timeshare, don't even start the conversation with them. We're going to come back and talk more about timeshares. I want to hear Kevin finish his story here. Uh, coming up, and more financial regrets as well, here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. My name is Mike Bernard. In the studio with me, Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Special thanks to Diane Bennett at REMAX 100 and Ledoux, Kern, and Keene for sponsoring the show today. We are talking about, we're actually in the third segment of a three-week series on financial regrets and those financial decisions that we've all made that you end up later saying, don't. And we're right in the middle of a big one right now about timeshares. That's number nine. So, Kevin, I want to hear a little more of the story here or or finish the story about the timeshare experience you just had. Sure. And before I finish the story, I'll go back to what we said in the first segment, which is timeshares are not bad. 
They're not evil, but they are a, a product that give people lots of regret. And that doesn't mean if you have one, you're going to regret it. I have friends that have them, use them, love them, swear by them. So I'm not saying don't ever uh, consider a timeshare. I'm just saying my experience and from the, the way that I view life, it doesn't make sense for me and my family to have a timeshare. Because I, and really, it's as simple as the degree of complexity that's involved in a timeshare. So I, so going back, we looked at the timeshare, and she said, hey, how about the three-bedroom one for $80,000? And we don't want you to write a check for $80,000. We want you to write a check for 1200 bucks a month. And, of course, she got us to, to say, no, the objection, we're objecting on price. And I wasn't objecting on price. I was objecting on, look, I don't want to be an owner. Principal. Yeah, on principal, I want to be a renter. But I, I, I was curious about why, because she then worked her way down and had a couple of different offers. Well, then try the two-bedroom, try the one-bedroom, try the every other year. She was the, she was the good cop. And she was she was wonderful, but she was very well trained and very skilled. But she she hid it behind a very kind smile, and so you didn't really know if you didn't know what was going on, you wouldn't know what's going on. So, so she was the good closer. After her came the bad closer. After the bad closer came the good closer. So there were three closers, and we had to say no. I can't tell you how many times that we had to say no. Were you eventually shamed because you said no? No. The way that always works is my wife was eventually embarrassed of her husband. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I've seen that happen before. I don't know. What you going to do about that? So um, anyway, so I think I would give you a couple of tools or I would equip you for doing this. Make, make a commitment with your spouse before you ever go to the presentation that you are not going to make a decision on the spot. And I would I would encourage you if it's a good if it's a good deal today and it's a good idea today, it'll be a good deal tomorrow. It'll be a good deal a week from tomorrow, it'll be a good deal a month from now, a year from now. So don't make a decision on the spot because you are what you're signing up for. If you sign up on the spot and and I've never seen um, I've, I think I've done three or four of these over my married life and they always promise 90 minutes and it's never less than three hours. Yeah. So you need to, you need to be in agreement with your spouse. We are not going to say yes on the spot. And if you have to, and this is what I encourage folks to do, put it on your financial planner. Say, hey, this looks great, but I need to talk to my financial planner. And use your certified financial planner as an excuse to not rush into a financial decision anytime you are tempted to run, run into a financial decision. And then I would sit down and I would say, okay, if we've agreed that vi- vacation is a high priority, because in this, basically what you have, you have this room full of pyromaniacs and all they're doing is creating straw dogs. And so they, they, they have this incredible vacuum system that they're creating. And when you make a decision in a vacuum, you're going to make the wrong decision. So I would say if, if, because when you're sitting down with them talking, you say, yeah, vacation is important to us. We do like family time. We do like to get away. Okay. Well then leave that place and go get coffee with your spouse and say, Hey, 
let's plan, let's make our bucket list. Where are the next 10 places we want to go and, and how are we going to do it? So Have you ever encouraged someone to go out on the secondary market and look at a timeshare? If, if they're really bent on owning a timeshare, rather than paying full ticket price at the presentation there with the, the crafty salesperson, have you ever encouraged someone to go look about maybe buying it from someone who is wanting to get rid of it? No, I, I, would, enc- I would encourage... The, the problem is you don't know what you're buying. And I've had experiences, I had uh, a client whose father owned four of these things, and as his father got older and started to lose some of his uh, mental capacity, he would get calls from these services that would say, hey, we'll sell your timeshare for you. Because his father was older and these timeshares were getting used, he thought, well, all I'm doing is paying the fees, I'd like to get rid of them. And he he gave these people his credit card several different times and they charged him between four and five grand each time. Wow. And they never got rid of a single timeshare for him. Wow. So when you, when you look at the complications involved with the timeshare, that's where I say, Hey, being an owner starts to lose some of its luster. And there's some pretty great simplicity to all I have is a rent receipt. So be it. All I have is a receipt from the Marriott, uh, for the weekend that we spent in Indy. So be it. You're right. I didn't have ownership, but I think I'm farther ahead with the simplicity there. So I wouldn't, I, I would, I would tell someone a bad idea at full price is not a good idea at half price. Mm. It, it's just a bad idea. That's half off. Yeah. Good point. Good idea. So you would, you would actually try to talk them out of it maybe, or at least consider all the other options out there for getting vacations built into their life. Yeah, I, and, and the way that I do it, I would tell people, talk to people that travel and do this. If Talk to Edgertons. You know, go to Philadelphia with Casey this summer. Do, do cool stuff like that and, and create a bucket list. Work with your uh, certified financial planner to make sure you've got a budget and you know what you want to spend. Make your bucket list and do that. Because the question is, are you going to let the, the, the nice gale down in Gatlinburg cement what your vacation looks like for the next 40 years, or are you going to do it yourself? And I, I would encourage people, take that leadership upon, take the mantle of leadership for how your family is going to spend time together upon yourself and do it yourself. Yeah. I know we've spent a lot of time on this regret and... You know, I, I might have even had more strong words than what you even shared, Kevin, because, um, you know, I, I've had, without exception, everybody who I've ever met who's owned a timeshare eventually does regret it. And I'm, I'm thinking of one client who lost her husband. They used to use their timeshares all the time. They loved them. They would swear by them. They even got, you know, full use out of them. I, I think it was a fair investment, but even she as a widow eventually came to regret having it in her life and she wanted to get rid of it and just struggled and, and couldn't, you know, she's trying to live on a fixed income and now has these annual fees that have been ratcheting up, ratcheting up, ratcheting up. And, uh, she decided recently that she was going to go use her timeshare for the last time and then try to sell it or get rid of it. Mm. And she went down, she got sucked into one of these meetings and she came home with another one. 
Yep. Mm. I've had they, that experience with a client. They before told her as well. the way to get out is to go deeper in, basically. Exactly. You uh, upgrade, and then the fees will be smaller, and it'll be easier to use for you as well. And, you know, before she knows it, she's got 10 grand on a credit card that she can't afford. And we had. We spent a lot of time trying to coach her on how to get out of that. Yeah, so it, these these folks could sell a glass of water to a drowning man, and unfortunately, they would. So, yeah. and and I I look at that in the disclosures that they're responsible for doing and and telling you how it really works. They there isn't great disclosure on this. And I, I think about that as the Department of Labor has just come down from on high and told us how in the financial services industry, our disclosures have to be and all this other stuff. And I look at the regulation that we face and I thought that is one majorly unregulated industry because to be able to do that, that, and it's another topic for another day, but that becomes elder abuse. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it's important that people remember that vacationing is a discretionary expense, right? And don't lock yourself in to where it becomes a monthly or an annual obligation to yourself because you don't know what the future is going to hold. You may need to cut back on some of your travel, but you won't be able to if you've locked yourself into a permanent decision. Financial regret number 10 and 11 coming up here on Wise Money with Fullhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name is Mike in the studio with Josh and Kevin. Want to say a special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies and to First State Bank for sponsoring the show. We are talking about, we're actually rounding the corner here. We're going to hit financial regret 10 and 11 and coming up here in just a moment, financial regret number 12. We are finishing our three-week series on the big financial mistakes that people make, how you can avoid them and recover from them. We just spent a lot of time talking about timeshares and what you need to watch out for there. And I think overall we'd say avoid if you can. Yep. Uh, okay. That's a good segue, though, right into the 10th financial regret. And that is uh, falling for too good to be true offers. Isn't this like the season for too good to be true offers? I mean, anytime we're in a political uh, world here where you've got politicians running around the countryside making big claims about what they're going to do for the future, what they'll do for your life, politicians are the experts on the too good to be true, aren't they? I, I would say so. But I, I actually am thinking of a story that makes it, it takes it closer to home than just who you're going to vote for. And, you know, you see this every once in a while, but it was much more common maybe five years ago. Josh and I were serving a couple who had really had a tough go of things financially. They were really on the cusp of bankruptcy. Their marriage, sadly, was falling apart. Lots of stress there. They truly just had gotten too far behind in expenses and debt overextended. And their income just didn't meet their monthly needs and all of the debt that they were paying. And so we were counseling these folks for a long time, and it was touch and go, very, very sensitive. Well, we get a call from the husband, and Josh and I are both in the meeting at this time, and he leaves a message that says, 
oh my goodness, I just got the lucky break. I won $15,000 and they need, I need to send them $3,000 for processing. And I need to put it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It needs to be cash. Please call me back as soon as you can. And we did. We called them back right away. And they came in that day on the spot and in tears as we were explaining, no, this is a scam. You didn't win anything. Don't send them any money. In tears, somehow he had gotten his hands on three grand cash and already did it. I thought it was a credit card. Maybe maybe it was cash. It was cash. And it's those sorts of things that... Yeah, the, the promises of free education and all this stuff going on uh, in the race for the White House is one thing, but tangible parting with financial dollars to get something that any of us thinking clear-headed and unemotionally would say, no, 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 that is a scam. I had Falling totally for forgotten about that story. Yep. You've completely it depressed me. me now. It, yeah. it haunts me. And there's, of course, a lot. My folks live down in Florida in a big retirement community. Of course, there are folks that just prey on... on People in that situation, well, speaking that stage of, of life. Pray, a different kind of pray. You know, this particular client believed that this was an answer to prayer. Exactly. Right? Like this is answer from heaven. Uh, it, it's our rescue plan being sent especially for us. And really, no, he he had gotten emotional. He had gotten desperate. Yes. And you know, you, you start seeing opportunities that really aren't there. So that's where I would, I would take it home to some action items before we transition to regret number 11. And number one is don't get your financial life in a desperate position to begin with. And be proactive, do the right things, do the easy things, you know, work the budget, build up a savings account, all of that sort of stuff so you're not in a desperate financial situation. And second, hear again the encouragement to have a certified financial planner in your life. A CFP is someone to earn those credentials. You got to go through a certain criteria for ethics, education, experience. Having someone that you trust who's a certified financial planner should one, help you avoid falling for too good to be true offers, but two, educate you on what's actually out there so you can sniff these things out yourself. That's right. They're a sounding board for you to take these types of decisions to, you know, put some sort of circuit breaker in place so that you don't fall victim to these, these issues. You know, you may even do something as simple as Googling the issue and put scam at the end of your your Google search, and it will pull up all kinds of people who unfortunately were the victim, and they're trying to get the message out there. Um, I, I've actually used that and saved myself some regret at one point as well. And if you have a little free time and you want to do a little binge watching, go to CNBC and watch American Greed. Because these guys will go, they, they, they do these shows and they go through, this was the scam, this was the scam, this was a scam. And you see the people that were scammed and how it affected them. Oh. And th- what they did is they fell for something that was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. Madoff, too good to be true. Yep. You can't, your, your investments are not going to do 1% to 2% per month, every month for years on end. If they are someone is creating a statement for you that's not a real statement. Yep. So I, I would tell you, if, you, if you're interested in this, um, go to the Attorney General's website, but you can CNBC, American Greed. That's uh, my favorite way to uh, get in on the too-good-to-be-true stuff. Financial regret number 11 is very practical, almost boring, but we're talking about it anyways, and that is not having an emergency fund. Everyone's heard of an emergency fund, right? But really, what is it? It's a bucket of money. It's a bank account that's separate than your checking account 
that you put money in and don't touch unless it's for an actual emergency. And by its very nature, emergencies are unpredictable and can be pretty extreme. You know, cutting your fingernail too short is not an emergency. That is not, that is not extreme, right? And so it's a separate account. And let me underscore that. It's a separate account. It's not just part of your checking. And or how, part of your savings either. Yes, exactly. Right? Some people just kind of lump savings all together. You know, some of this is for emergency and some of it is for uh, saving up for the next Disney trip or something like that. You need to segregate these dollars out. I, I like the fact that you pointed out this is a do not touch account. You're squirreling away money under lock and key. I, I even encourage people to get it into a bank account that's not at your local bank. Yep. So that you're not tempted to consider those dollars when you're deciding on the next piece of furniture you buy or, or something like that. I've got three rules as it comes to an emergency fund. It's got to it's got to be FDIC insured. It has to be liquid. So you've got to be able to go get the money if mm -hmm. an emergency happens. And then lastly, it's got to be free. They shouldn't be charging you two bucks a month or an annual charge or something like that. After that, hopefully you find one that's paying a decent interest. And yeah, like you said, Josh, hopefully it's one that's not at your hometown bank where your checking account is. It's a little bit segregated. So what everyone's wondering but is afraid to ask, Mike, who do you use? Who do you use? Michael Paul Bernard, who do you use? I actually use the, the Pioneer for the online money market account was a company called ING. They launched it back in 02, I believe. So I started with them in 03. I saved up for my wife's wedding ring using that account, saved up for our first house using that account. Capital One, ugh, credit card company, bought them a couple years ago, but they haven't changed anything. The, right. fee, the, the cost structure, the fees, all of that stuff is the same. Now, they're not paying the highest interest. You can go out there and find ones that are paying 1%. This one's paying 0.75, but I know what I'm getting, and I've been using it now for a decade. So that's who I use. And it's I use the same one, actually, so there's a second endorsement. And I do, too. Um, but I, I would say with Capital One and using that money market account, it's easy to use. Yeah. It's intuitive. It's easy. I thought you were going to ask how much should be in there. I thought and, that's where you are going, and, too. And the rule of thumb is three to six months of your income. I like to say three to six months of your actual spending because hopefully your spending is less than your income right there. Got it. But you, <laughs> but you then have to make it custom fit, tailored fit for you. Do you have young children? Do you have high deductibles on your health insurance or home and auto insurance? Do you have old cars, a house with a lot of maintenance? Do you have a job that's unstable or are you paid on 100% commission? All of those answers will help you figure out, well, should I be at the three-month range, the six-month range? Or my favorite was an engineer who said, if I lose my job, it's going to take about 18 months to find a job of a similar salary. I want 18 months. Wow, that's conservative. <laughs> yep. But most people don't do this because they look at money sitting in their savings account as lazy money. I'd uh -huh. completely change your paradigm there. This is not lazy money. It's serving a purpose. That purpose is to help you from going bankrupt that's right. when an emergency hits. Not there to make you wealthy. It's there to keep you from getting poor. That's right. That's right. Guys, if you've missed anything, go to wisemoneyradio.com. Uh, if you have a question for the show, give us a call, 574-222-2000. In just a moment, we are rounding the corner. We're heading home. Financial regret number 12 coming up here next on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike in the studio with Josh and Kevin. We are talking about those big 12 financial choices that you make that you later regret. Not airing them out because, uh, you know, we want anyone to feel embarrassed, but just to help you know what's out there and why maybe you should avoid making some of these decisions. And if you have made one of these decisions, how to pick yourself back up and move forward. If you have a question for the show, a comment about what we're talking about, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can also see all the previous episodes as well. And you can give us a call, 574-222-2000. Okay, guys, home stretch. Financial regret number 12 is dying without a game plan. Yeah, that's different than just dying without life insurance or just dying without an estate plan or something. It's really all-encompassing. We're not talking about uh, not planning your death well. Right. Uh, <laughs> we, we maybe should have uh, worded this a little bit better. But... Or that in the afterlife you're going to sit back with a bunch of regrets because hopefully you're all upstairs exactly. and all of that. But uh, but you it's know, just th- not, not thinking proactively about this happening to you. That's right, because really the regrets are the people who are left behind. They're the ones who endure the regrets or the consequences of your planning or lack of planning, that kind of thing. I was thinking the other day that, um, you know, if, if I were to pass away without life insurance in place, my wife and I both share the blame for that happening, right? We, we didn't plan together, but ultimately she would be the one who would bear all the consequences if I'm gone without life insurance. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I just don't want that for my wife. I don't want to leave behind any type of ill feelings or blame towards me because of something I didn't do. Same thing though, you know, if you're parents uh, of children and both of you are gone, the two of you share the blame for that one, but your kids bear all the consequences uh, of that decision or lack of planning. You know, if you didn't decide who was going to be the guardian of the kids or you didn't put precautions or, or safety nets in place to prevent them from being hurt by receiving money too soon, that sort of thing. Yep. So lack of planning in this area is one that can leave a lot of heartache, not for yourself, but the people that you love and leave behind. Here's why I'll, I'll just point back to having a certified financial planner in your life because for two reasons. One, I think a lot of people are susceptible to not planning for this because it's just not fun. No, it's so hard to talk about, It's right? hard to talk about. It's emotional. You don't want to think about yourself dying, your spouse dying, what would happen to the kids. Guys, you know, I could cry at a good commercial. So, you know, talking <laughs> about this stuff, I'm a crier. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, so a certified financial planner in your life, you give license to bring these things up and help you get a game plan and do things proactively. The second reason I would point back to you need a financial planner in your life, we already talked about it earlier, and that is they're going to help you see things that you might otherwise miss. Mm-hmm. Because the, the fact of you, I mean, this regret of dying without a game plan probably lends itself very quickly to, well, did I have life insurance or not? No, it's bigger than that. Do you have an estate plan? Do you have beneficiaries correct? Is right. the car titled the right way? Is the house titled the right way? 
and and then dying without a game plan. What about just having a contingency game plan to begin with? Disability insurance. What happens if you lose your job? All of that stuff. A certified financial planner is going to help you think through those things, be proactive, and so you're not caught off guard. Something like this happens. You know what? I often think I have a vested interest in making sure that my clients are ready for the unexpected loss of a spouse because I'm going to be the one who's helping them navigate through those waters if if that actually occurs in their life. And I want them to be prepared, yeah. right? You know, I don't want to have to look uh, a spouse in the eye and say, wow, your lifestyle has got to change. That house that you're used to living in, it needs to be sold or the kids, they, they just can't afford to keep going to that school or something because we didn't have a game plan in place. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you said, Mike, is that uh, work with a financial planner because of the proactive aspect to that. But I say, no, work with a financial planner because of the ongoing maintenance that needs to be done. All that too. Make hmm. sure that your, your 401k isn't, uh, you know, doesn't have the beneficiary of your ex-spouse on it or Go on down the line. There are all these things that need to be done. And a lot of times you, we talked about why people are hesitant to do this. If you think about it, if you have income, you have to file a tax return by April 15th or by uh, October 15th. If you have a house with a mortgage or you have a car, you've got to have insurance on it. But you never have to put together an estate plan. Mm-hmm. And so people go about their life and they have property and two states or they have, you know, uh, you know, their parents listed as the beneficiary on their stuff and now they're married. So there are all of these things that need to be dealt with on an ongoing basis, but it's never time sensitive. You never have to deal with it. And so a lot, by default, a lot of folks just don't deal with it. So if you're listening today and you don't have an estate plan, I want to challenge you to call our office. We'll help you get in touch with Mark Crenity and Get it done. The, and the other reason why I say certified financial planner is a certified financial planner should be taking a comprehensive approach, and they should be talking to you about your estate plan and your contingency plan. If your financial advisor is only talking about your investments, likely you don't have a CFP. You need to find someone who is more comprehensive in nature. I want to spend just a moment, though, talking about the estate plan, okay? Uh, we've mentioned that phrase several times on the show. We've, we've broken it down before. But an estate plan is really the combination of at least, but typically, four documents. And within this regret, I'm going to speak to these four here. So first component of an estate plan is a will. And if you pass away without a will, the government then, it goes to court, and basically they distribute your assets for you. So in your will, you actually list, hey, here's who gets the money. Second, and very important if you have minor kids, Who's the guardian of the kids? So you certainly need a will. Uh, The second part is a power of attorney. So if something happens to you, then who's got the authority to go to the bank, pay your bills, has authority to act on your accord? Healthcare power of attorney is the third. Who has the authority to make healthcare decisions? And finally is a living will. If you're in a terminal situation, what decisions do you make proactively? Or are you appointing someone to make those decisions for you? You know, I think it's important to say a word also about folks who, unfortunately, they're already living with this regret. Maybe they've lost a spouse and they realize that, uh, boy, there, there's just not enough resources left behind, not enough income coming in, not enough maybe life insurance proceeds, that sort of thing. 
And, it, you know, my heart always breaks for, for folks in this situation because this is one of the hardest regrets to recover from. Yeah. Because there's only so many options for you to choose, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I've had to help people negotiate the whole lifestyle reduction reality that is kind of thrust upon them in a way. Um, and, and the people who are not able to respond quick enough, where they're able to sell the house if necessary and, um, you know, begin cutting back on what they spend, just making those spending adjustments. Uh, unfortunately, they run the risk of burning through the resources that they do have way too quickly. And they're essentially kind of backing themselves into a corner where maybe they have to work the rest of their life. Or, um, you know, I, I've, I have actually been doing this long enough to see people get married for financial reasons. Yeah. You know, I, that is just a scenario I do not want my wife to be in ever. Um, married the first time for love, second time for money? Yeah, something like that. Married for looks, I think, was the first one. But um, you have I mean, to ask her, I guess. Serious. I wasn't supposed to laugh at that. Though. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, the, the point is, you know, s somehow um, my, my wife has declared she will not remarry. I don't want her to ever be in a position where it's a temptation to remarry because of financial reasons. I want it to be because of love or companionship or something more, more meaningful than just, Hey, we, we've got a business uh, relationship here. Um, and th that's just not the, the situation you want to back yourself into a corner on. One last component of this regret is delaying making a decision when you're healthy and then realizing you've got to make a decision after your health has changed a little bit. So speaking back to that life insurance and kind of preparing for what's the game plan if you pass away, you know, you if you're healthy, you've got more options than if your health changes. So. That's right. And life insurance is a great tool when it yep. comes to estate planning. Okay, folks, if you missed anything, this episode or previous ones, check out the podcast. Go to wisemoneyradio.com or sign up for it. Be a subscriber on iTunes. Uh, on behalf of Josh, Kevin, myself, and the rest of us at KFG, guys, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.